This talk is supported by SmallPDF, the successful Swiss scale-up making PDF easy for over a billion people around the world since 2013. You may remember them from a previous podcast we hosted with their CEO, Dennis Just. Their mission is to make PDFs and life easy for people across the world, a mission made possible with their 90-plus amazing employees across Zurich, Belgrade and Barcelona. If you want to join this fast-growing Swiss scale-up, visit smallpdf.com forward slash Swisspreneur and apply. So they can choose between something ready-made, but they are not sure if it's healthy, or they know it's healthy because they did it themselves, but it takes a lot of time. That was when we realized if we would combine the convenience with the health approach, then we could create a winning new product. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. So welcome, Luca, to the Swisspreneur Podcast. Uh, how do you feel today? Um, I'm feeling uh, energized. Thanks for having me. Yeah, pleasure to have you. Luca is the co-founder and CMO of Yamo, a company that produces healthy, tasty baby and kids food in organic uh, local ingredients. So, uh, Luca, you studied marketing and communication at university. And uh, how did at that time you envision your future? Were you already thinking about entrepreneurship? To be honest, not really. I imagined my career pretty similar to lots of others, uh, you know, um, graduates of, of any economic studies. Uh, I thought I would end up in some big, nice brand, nice big corporation in a, in a cool marketing position or, or something similar. Mm-hmm. Um, although looking back, a lot of people have told me, yeah, it was clear that you would create something yourself because already during university you always spoke about business ideas and business plans and things that came to your mind how you could create a business and the thing is I don't really remember that so I remember more the point that that my own thoughts of course who were like uh, yeah I I need to be uh, need to become some manager in a big company Um, but yeah things took a different uh, different path yeah so it was like more that you know everyone knows this from your peers that you should go and do a great job but like inside and the way that you were behaving was different and that's what your friends remember yeah, I guess. My friends remember really those those ideas yeah. and, and, and the more the entrepreneurial side of me. Right. It's interesting that I don't really remember that myself. Do you remember any like projects you did or anything like competitions well, you did that time? What I remember was always I, I remember commuting to university and yeah. thinking what business idea is great and has not been implemented yet. This I remember, right? but I could never have imagined myself taking such a, a step and, and actually do something on my own. This I, 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 yeah, I couldn't have never imagined. Okay. So the seeds were already there. It wasn't just planted. In some yet. points, yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then you went on to work for SodaStream and then Campari Group. And, uh, you know, these were beverages industry. So what made you like lean towards that? Uh, I think beverages was uh, was a coincidence. 
what I was always interested in was uh, great brands. So mm -hmm. also during university, I always choose um, um, uh, lections that um, that somehow had something to do with with branding. So how to create a nice brand, how to turn around a, a brand brand that is not uh, not successful. Uh, so the power of of uh, of a brand was always very very uh, interesting to me. Mm -hmm. um, and in the end. I, I ended up working for beverages, which I think was really a coincidence. But of course, lots of cool brands are somehow, and, and that also are tangible, mm -hmm. are in, in food, right? Or in FMCG at least. So um, yeah, I think that was a coincidence. Uh, what maybe drove a bit the, the development was that I, during university, during my studies already, I worked for a for an advertising agency as mm -hmm. a typical student job, nothing, nothing fancy. But of course, we had a lot of, of customer brands as clients. So that was kind of a bit the groundwork for maybe my, my future path. And uh, then I was very intrigued by everything related to brand management, um, marketing all around the positions. And you usually find those jobs in classic FMCG companies. Mm -hmm. So that's why I... I guess I, I ended up in, in this kind of, of business and not something very specific uh, somewhere else. Okay. So, uh, you know, then you went on to found Yamo. And speaking of FMCG, it's also part of an FMCG industry, which is, uh, for our listeners, fast-moving consumer goods industry. Uh, can you tell us a little bit, you know, from the terms of branding, like how does FMCG differentiate from other brands and what really goes into it uh, from that point of view? I mean, if you compare the FMCG companies, the other industries, um, it's usually brands that, that it's usually brands that create really a, a difference in, in how you look at the product. So, whether you buy um, a, a product from the shelf that has no brand at all versus a company or a, a product that uh, has created a nice positioning with its own unique brand positioning, um, that, that makes a difference. And I believe in, in FMCG, branding has a major impact on whether you um, whether you succeed with your product mm -hmm. or not. It's not just pricing. It's not just availability. It's also the, the story that you tell about your brand, um, uh, whether you create some, some nice PR messaging out there for the people to follow you, mm -hmm. especially in today's world where um, sustainability becomes more and more important, yeah. whether you take a stand in today's society, even in politics. So it's the power of a brand cannot be... Um, uh, cannot be yeah, mentioned enough, I believe. And FMCG as products that are in your daily focus because you go daily to mm -hmm. retailers, you buy your groceries, you, you're exposed to so many different brands per day. It's super important to stand out. Okay. So for us, it was very important from the beginning to think about how we would create a brand that is very different from everything that is out there already existing and already talking to the today's parents and our mission was really to create something completely new and different that no one would expect from a baby food mm -hmm. brand so would you say that uh, you know the values 
that your brand holds, like that you spoke of sustainability, is super important to also showcase in today's time? I think it is very important. I think a few years ago, it was kind of a differentiator mm -hmm. or even a, a motivator, maybe. I think by today, it's more of a hygiene factor. So you cannot afford not being sustainable. While maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, it was really something that were, was setting you apart. Mm -hmm. If you were taking a sustainable messaging, positioning, then you were something different, right? Yeah. Today, it's I feel like the customer almost expects it from you. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that sets you apart, but if you don't have it, then you have a problem. Mm -hmm. So, it, and it's kind of a, I, I feel there is a change. So the the consumers out there, they they expect it and they would basically um, not feel positive about you if you would not do anything that in that area. But you cannot, you cannot just with sustainability create a brand today. That I think those times are gone. In the last five years, they changed a lot. Okay. Uh, well, that's super interesting. And I want to dig deeper into the whole story with Yamo. Um, you guys founded, you were three co-founders, correct? And founded in 2016. So dating back to 2015, uh, you and your co-founder, Tobias, uh, you were working in the Campari group, right? And uh, this was going from booze industry to now baby foods. Like, how did you make that leap? Yeah, quite a bit uh, of a different, <laughs> a different uh, thing to to come up with. Yes, um, it's exactly. I I was working together with Toby. We were both in in brand management. Actually, was sitting right behind me, back to back, and we always exchanged ideas. He was a brand manager for for different brands than I was, so I could give him tips on ideas that I had for his brands, and he mm -hmm. would tell me, "Hey, have you thought about doing that with Aperol and Campari and your other brands?" And it was very always very fruitful exchange. So I knew. Um, that we had a very strong connection and a good, uh, a good um, professional uh, relationship, so to say. And I remember there was an article in in 20 Minuten, a Swiss uh, mm -hmm. Swiss newspaper, about the exit of Innocent Smoothies. So uh, a few founders in, I think, in the UK that uh, built the first ever. A smoothie uh, a startup and then they sold it to coke i think for 500 million or something and there was an interview with the founders and this interview was so inspiring that toby and me from that day on we started really digging deeper into this topic of of you know entrepreneur entrepreneurial spirit what does it need to become an entrepreneur uh, it's more than just the idea it's mm -hmm. also the whole, you know, the, the what mindset do you need to have? Uh, how are entrepreneurs different from from managers? And that I, I think that planted a bit the, the seed in a much more concrete than than what, like I told you before, right? Mm -hmm. There were some ideas, but I never really thought about that. And at that point, we also started exchanging ideas, like business ideas. Could that be a cool opportunity? Could that be something that would make sense? And there was actually one idea that I had back then, uh, something with in, in, in fitness and in gym, I, I remember, that I pitched to Toby as fun. And then I saw it a few weeks or months uh, being communicated, actually, all, again, in 20 Minuten from some 
fancy, famous uh, Swiss sport influencer. Okay. Of course, he had not listened to my pitch, but just coincidentally, this it idea that I have out. was yeah. done by someone else. Yeah. And I think maybe that started all like the, hey, there are good ideas. It's mm -hmm. just really about let's do it. So that was maybe a bit the, the beginning of um, when we realized hey, there is potential to do something. Okay. And when you were digging into this whole entrepreneurial, you know, mindset, like, did you guys do some kind of trainings as well? Um, yeah, I think Toby, he did a further education in, in, uh, at, at the University of Lucerne. Mm -hmm. And one part of his studies were, I think, uh, yeah, entrepreneurship. So they had a course of um, creating business plans, pitches, pitching to investors, etc. So everything was in there. Mm -hmm. And as part of that, um, he would need to come up with a business idea. I think now this is I, I would need to ask Toby again if I'm if I remember that correctly. He would need to come up with a business idea and basically then pitch it to some experts. And luckily, our idea of what would now become Yamo back then uh, started at the same time. It's completely different now from, from his further education. Uh, and we then used this basic idea that we had as a start to estimate whether this could become something interesting just based on the reaction of those entrepreneur experts in his in his studies okay okay because yeah. i saw a video um of tobia with this wi forum mm -hmm. uh where i think you had mentioned to me that you did this he did this one week training was this the one you're referring no, to? no that was actually much later that was okay. when we already had the idea and okay. we took the decision to uh to start working on on the on the on on yamo basically no uh before that we we really had to come up with the idea first of Yamo. And that happened because I was uh, watching a documentary about veganism in, in, in Switzerland, in the Swiss TV with my back then roommate. And in this TV show, they explained a lot about uh, how the positive effects of being vegan mm -hmm. help in, in your health, uh, energy level, etc. And then I decided to go vegan for a month just to test it because I was super interested in that. So I went to the office and told Toby, hey, I'm doing this vegan month. You want to join? And him being super interested in, in cooking and new recipes, etc. He said, oh, I, I'd like to participate as well. And um, so we did this vegan month. And when you change your 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 yeah your diet basically, suddenly then you need to look at all of those ingredient lists on the products that you that you buy because it's something new. You have no idea. Um, so we had to look at every product that we bought very carefully. Is there anywhere anything uh, um, from an animal inside an ingredient? So when you look at those ingredient lists very carefully, what you realize is a lot of the daily products that you buy, even sell ready-made salads, etc., they contain a lot of salts, sugars, and other not super healthy ingredients. And as a joke, we said then, oh, well, do we just need to buy baby food now? Because that seems to be the only healthy food that, that you can get ready-made. So we went as a joke to the, the baby food aisle And we realized that the products, the ready-made baby food products, were not really super, uh, in a way, produced as we would expect for the most for, yeah, sensitive yeah. humans uh, around us, for, for little kids, right? And 
that's kind of triggered something in us. So we said, hey, how can it be that those products are still, um, you know, being produced like 80 years ago? Um, there is the natural vitamins are gone due to the, mm -hmm. the cooking process. Then they add again uh, vitamins in there so that, that there is something in the mm -hmm. products. The, the colors is just mostly brownish, although the ingredients should be green and red and, you know, a bit fresh. So a lot of questions. And then we, we called Jose, our today co third co-founder, and asked him, hey, dude, do you know anything about that, that how they are produced? And is there a better way how to produce those things? And then he said, well, yes, there is, but just no one dares to do it mm -hmm. because the market in, is owned by the big players. But in the US, there are already a few startups doing that. So we found that out. Then we started talking a bit. We t then talked to lots of parents to find out how they feed their kids. And it was then when we realized, okay, there is a real market opportunity here because parents at the one side, they care for really nutritious, healthy recipes that usually they find only when they do it themselves, when right. they cook the products themselves, or the product, the, the baby food, I mean. Um, but that takes a lot of time. The other solution is you go to a retail shelf and you buy it from the, from, from the store. But then parents told us they are not really trusting those products because they don't really know what is inside. The ingredient list is too long. There mm -hmm. are chemical things in it that they don't, don't trust. Um, so they can choose between something ready-made, but they're not sure if it's healthy or they know it's healthy because they did it themselves, but it takes a lot of time. And then that was when we realized if we would combine the convenience with the, the health approach mm -hmm. of like homemade, then we could create a winning uh, new, new product or new category. And that's how we okay. ended up starting Yamo. And that was the idea of, of our pitch at the, uh, uh, at the, I think a startup competition in Lucerne when where we won first place just with a business idea, and based on that we got then this uh, one week mentorship program of this got entrepreneur. It. Okay, yeah. well I mean the baby food market is you know billions of dollars market worldwide. It's there's so many products out there so. Though you were differentiating yourself because you were using healthier ingredients, how easy or difficult was it in the beginning to kind of, you know, put your product out there and compete with these other products? Uh, of course, much more difficult than we would expect. I think this every every founder suffers a bit from that and thinks my product is the solution for everything. Right. And everyone was just waiting for it. Of course, that's never true. Uh, no, of course, it takes much more time. It takes mm -hmm. more money um, than you originally planned. Um, but we had from the beginning very good press. So because the idea is so tangible, uh, when you talk about it or when you see the product, it, it just makes a lot of sense. And it's not some difficult uh, crypto uh, right. thing that you need, no one understands. It's very simple, right? The, yeah. the, the, the value proposition is super simple. It's fre it's basic. It's fresh baby food, like at home, but you know you can buy it in, uh, from the shelf or or you know, online. Um, so it's a very simple principle, and it was new in a way that we would shake an entire industry that had not been 
changing since 80 years. So that premise alone made uh, a lot of, of news outlets mm-hmm. like TV and me and other newspapers uh, yeah, aware of us and they started, yeah, they, they interviewed us and wrote about us. So that was very helpful. Um, it was also very helpful that we started with a um, with our own own online shop, so we could test things, we could right. test product recipes, etc., and just later go into retail when we would already had uh, found a bit the ideal recipes and and products that really worked. But as usual, things take longer than than you expect. So I mean, it's super interesting to me that eighty years this you know, the way that baby food was being produced didn't change. Uh, do you, why do you think that is? I mean, your co-founder Jose also mentioned that, you know, no one has dared to, to do it yet uh, to make it healthier. And do you think this is more cultural that, you know, something is working, let's just stick to that? Or why didn't anyone like go into this direction? I mean, if I say nothing changed in the last, I don't know how it was, 60, 80 years, yeah. then... Um, I, what I mean by it is the basic cooking process mm-hmm. of, you know, sterilizing it with heat, cooking yeah. it, putting it in a jar, close it, and then it's basically like a can that that you can uh, keep forever unchilled. That is the the principle that has not changed in, in a lot of years. Um, why this has not changed? It's a difficult question. I think it works. So there is a, a customer group that wants those products, they are, they're not so expensive. So it's rather, you can buy them rather cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, in today's world, there a lot of parents are very busy, so they are depending on convenient solutions. Uh, so it, there is this market of, of people that need, need baby food um, uh, because they cannot cook it themselves. Um, why no one has dared to try it I cannot really answer you. It's like the question with a lot of products. Why right. hasn't no one come up with electrical cars before Tesla? Uh, not that I compare us to Tesla, but I think it. If an industry has been for too long not changing, and there is only one big, you know, stakeholder right. of this industry, one leader of the category, then maybe they have become a bit lazy and a bit too secure of their own position. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, you see that often in, in, in lots of other industries, yes. right? Um, that that the category leader becomes a bit lazy and not really... Like why change something that works? That really works, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then it needs someone fresh needs to come with, right. with new ideas to shake it up maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, tell us a bit about the uh, ingredients that go into making the baby food products that you started with. Yes, so uh, of course we today we know much more than when we started. Um, it's, but it's really it's it's very basic. The the ingredients um, in the beginning of when your kid uh, shows interest in in solid food, you usually start with um, with one ingredient product. So you would either create a carrot puree or a pear puree. And it's very interesting that, if, for example, in the French part of Switzerland, they would recommend more fruity products first. And then in the German part of Switzerland, they would uh, propose more veggie 
uh, ingredients in the beginning. So it's very, very interesting that depending on the region where you are, yeah. um, different products are being uh, suggested as an introduction to solid foods. Uh, actually, the ingredients themselves are not really the difference from Yamo versus other companies mm-hmm. that are producing baby food since many years. What really differentiates us is the the approach to the the production technology. So what we do is um, we don't heat the products uh, up with a lot of, of heat like the old companies do. They would heat up the products and um, the cooking process um what what happens with the cooking process is of course you you kill the bacteria and all the things that you don't want to have in the in the product so you have a long shelf life but what happens as well with heat is um a few good things go- are gone as well like um heat sensitive uh, nutrients and vitamins like vitamin C is for example heat sensitive if you cook a product up 120 120 degrees then vitamin C is gone. So that's why they need to add vitamin C afterwards again so that it is not a product without any vitamins. And that just for us did not really make a lot of sense. So that's why we looked at uh, other production uh, technologies and we found this uh, high-pressure processing technology uh, that was still, when we started in Switzerland, not really known. There was only one machine in all Switzerland. Now there are a bit more. And... The promise of this machine is basically that you can create a a product with two, three months of shelf life, but when you open it, it's always as fresh as you Mm -hmm. would just mix it at home with your own ingredients and and just eat it from that moment. So the the freshness is there, the, the vitamins are in there, the colors, it looks like freshly created. And the magic happens um, with pressure instead of heat. So you can kill bacterias and all of those things that you want in the product also with pressure instead of heat because bacterias are animals. So they, they, they get destroyed with, with a high pressure. And this high pressure machine, uh, we were the first company to use that in Europe for baby food. Usually it's being used for other uh, purees or soups, right. even a few meat like sausages that contain a lot of water mm-hmm. um, are, are uh, good applications for, for high pressure. And the good thing is that, let's say the bad things are being eliminated from the products, while the good things, the vitamins, the fresh taste, the colors, this stays in the product. Okay. And uh, yeah, that was how we, we created this new category in, in Europe. So considering that, you know, these machines, you said, uh, were they readily available in Switzerland? How difficult was it for you to produce everything? Uh, yeah, it was one production company in Switzerland uh, had such a machine. Okay. So for us, there was not a lot of choice. We just started with this production partner. and um, But soon they would become a bit too small for us. And uh, we then switched to a German production partner because they, they could just scale with us better. Okay. And um, but yeah, it was it was. It's also not you cannot Google it, right? Who has yeah. a high pressure <laughs> processing machine? Because it's you know something that that really is out there online. So uh, we needed to to enlarge our network quite a bit and talk to many many different you know, uh, production people to find out who in Europe owns such machines because they are not really a lot. And how did this affect your pricing? So you were doing all of this, you know, healthy uh, process of food production, trying to use also really good 
ingredients, organic and local ingredients. Uh, how did that affect the, the pricing that you had of the products and how did it compare to the other options that were there in the market? Yes, of course. Um, we, with the production technology that pro production technology that we we use, there is more manual work involved, and uh, it's not as uh, standardized mm -hmm. as as um, all the other uh, ways of how you can cook products. Um, also, we use different a bit. We always use organic ingredients, right. super fresh, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the product itself is more expensive. Um, our ambition is to be anywhere of 20-30% um, more expensive than the competition. It's We need to ask for higher prices because otherwise yeah. it's just not, not, not working. But also because we really believe that a, a certain um, signaling of a higher you know, price also um, shows the customer that this is, is worth more because right. it's fresh compared to a mm -hmm. shelf-stable product. Um, but it's also very interesting, of course, because we, especially in the beginning, I mean, we used to buy carrots in an amount, it's such a small amount where if we would need to, you know, need to ask for a, a reasonable price to be profitable on the first purchase, we would need to ask for, I don't know, 20 francs per, per cup or something, uh, because we just bought such little amounts right. that the, the ingredient prices were very high for us. Uh, but today, of luckily, we are in a different position and we buy much higher volumes. So um, the business case in such is, is very, very simple. We just, with higher volumes that we buy the ingredients, the, the prices come down and that's the path towards profitability. And it's something very simple for our investors to see, okay, if you reach that volume, then you're profitable. Okay. So it's not really complicated and... Uh, and and then during, you know, the pandemic, uh, mm -hmm. where a lot of mothers are at home, they probably have time to cook meals at home. Did that affect your sales at all with the products? Yeah, it's a bit hard to say because we, I mean, we, we're constantly growing year by year, more than 100%. And during COVID, we, we realized something very interesting, also talking to other you know, food startups, while a lot of food startups had suddenly, I don't know, a thousand percent growth due to uh, COVID. For us, it was just a continuation of, of normal, I mean, normal, normal for a, a high growth startup, but not, uh, not a thousand percentage. Right. We just continue growing 100, 200 percent. What I believe, why this is, was the case for us different than for other uh, e-commerce food startups was that while parents were at home, they had time to cook. And even though they did not have time, they would end up buying things from retail that were shelf-stable. Because what did you do? You bought a lot of things to stock up your, your, uh, your stash at home, but maybe not really the fresh products. Because the yeah. all fresh things, you cook yourself at home. Mm -hmm. So I think for us, it was a bit of a, a weird mix of, yeah, parents were Googling us, they found us. Uh, they realized it's fresh and a few people bought more, but it was not the, the crazy, um, uh, absurd uh, spike like, I don't know, other, other food startups had. And we, the good thing for us is also we don't have now a, 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 you know, a decrease. We don't have that. We just see continuous growth 
still after the COVID. While a lot, a lot of other e-commerce companies, they struggle now with wow. uh, with the the downturn after the, mm -hmm. the spike. Well, I you know looked at your products. I was looking at the ingredients, and it's brilliant. Like I also saw that you have uh, kids snack bars as well, and I was wondering like why not also make food for adults, right? I mean, it's so clean and so healthy. Um, so what what is what was the idea to then go also with the snack bars? Um, so yeah, we started with baby food and what we realized after, I don't know, one, two years is that uh, a lot of parents, when they would basically quit their subscription with us online, uh, they would uh, give us a reason why they were quitting their relationship with us uh, because, yeah, my kid is not a baby anymore and um, you only have baby food products. But I would love to have something for later. Do you have, I don't know, yogurts or, or cereals or anything healthy? Because then I would continue buying from you because I really got used to, mm -hmm. to, to Yamo. So we started realizing that there is a real nice opportunity here to create much more than... And I mean, we started realizing. We knew that already a bit right. before, but, but then it became really, really, you know, um, tangible that that baby food is a really nice entry product to then accompany parents along the way and grow together with them and their kids in their in their development of, of, of a family. So baby food is really entry product and then we would like to grow together with them, create products as their kid grow, you know, uh, yogurt, mm -hmm. cereals, snack bars. Uh, there are so many product categories that today seem just a bit outdated. Yeah. Uh, where really you can you can disrupt a bit of the, the the whole categories. That's what we aim for. Okay, so there's more products that we can look look out for. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we will definitely bring uh, bring some new products to the market. Yes. Okay. Another interesting thing that I loved was uh, the celebrity names mm -hmm. that you uh, you know had a fun spin on for the products, uh, the baby products. Look, how did you come up with that, and uh, how? successful was it to go with this idea <laughs> contrary to um, popular beliefs we were not drunk when we <laughs> came up with with the first uh, product names uh, no it was really it that was a a very strategic decision so i remember looking at um other companies and then the way how they would name their products and it was always the same it was beet apple banana mango and you know just you name the product right. Um, based on your ingredients. And for us, I, as I told you in the beginning, for us it was clear we want, since we have a completely different product, we also want to be a completely different brand. We are younger, we are fresher, we will shake up the industry. So we need a brand that transports this messaging. And a, a product naming is, is a nice, it seems like a little part of of the brand, but if you do it right, every little part can become something really nice that people talk about. Definitely. So we we thought to ourselves, okay, what, I mean, who is really looking at the products or in our case, it's you have a consumer, which is the baby and you have the customer, which is the parent and it's two completely different audiences, right? For the baby, it just needs to taste nice. But for the parent, it needs to look nice. It needs to show trust, uh, signaling uh, healthy, etc. Um, and we tried to 
create a packaging and and that that would would communicate that but then we said on top of that it would really be nice if they would just have a, a, a little nicer price when parents walk by the thousands of different products and we would stand out with a little easter egg on the product packaging that makes them mm-hmm. makes them smile so we we said all right those parents they are let's say 25 to 35 they are in our age what are things that remind them of a good time growing up and it was those uh, pop cultural uh, parts of of our past like the 90s the early 2000s it's the the things we grew up with it's Britney Spears, the first pop songs that we listened to, the Backstreet Boys and all of those things. Also movies. Uh, and and that's when we said, okay, would it be a cool idea to create a mix of the ingredients with people and, and pop cultural elements that every one of us knows from the past and reminds us of something, something nice. Mm-hmm. And then we had a, a few... Super cool ideas in the beginning, like Mango Number no. Five and uh, in Banana Jones, um, that just created a lot of positive uh, feedback, and a lot of people would would tell us, "Hey, this is just awesome! You guys are so funny!" Blah blah blah. And then we realized, okay, here without really thinking too much about it, uh, we we developed something completely unique about our brand that also defines a bit the whole brand identity yeah. so we are light we don't take things too seriously we want to shake up and uh, think differently and uh, and also be a bit of a, a fun element in sometimes a bit of the too serious yeah. parenting world right we tend to take parenting very serious and you always need to be the best parent and mm-hmm. but hey it, parenting sometimes is also very hard and and uh, not everything is fun and at least here is something to laugh about that's great. Like, I think you played very well with connecting with your customers with this. And um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was like brilliant, the packaging, the branding. So good job on that. Thanks. <laughs> so um, Yamas also, you know, I think like in terms of values, like you guys are really hitting the nail on the head. Um, I didn't mention it before, but you also do like biodegradable packaging from what I saw. Um, and then you have the giving back campaign. Um, so how does this whole like philanthropic side of things tie into the company's mission? Um, it, it was something that we defined from the very first moment that we, if we do this, uh, we want to give something back because we, I mean, we are quite, we are a startup in Switzerland, right? We are mm-hmm. super lucky to be live, to live in such a great company with a lot of, uh, a country with a lot of support. Um, it's easier here than anywhere else to start something um, because you are embedded in a nice network. So we said with our products that are, I believe, superior to many, many other <laughs> products that are out there, we cannot reach everyone in the world. And um, we cannot give this added value to people all around the globe we're just limited with our distribution so we could do something else that everyone profits from Uh, and that was very very important to Toby Jose and me so we decided that um, we will do different projects from the very beginning and find out along the way what is it that makes the most sense for us so for example in the beginning 
um, we helped um, kids in rural India uh, that are um, that have don't have the best nutrition mm -hmm. uh, because they cannot afford food, um, they are malnourished, etc. So we would, for every product that we sold, we would, um, I think, if I remember correctly, we would um, gift a one meal to a, mm -hmm. a kid in rural India with a, a partner that was Welthungerhilfe, so the Welt World Hunger Help. Mm -hmm. uh, unluckily, due to COVID, this program was stopped by the Welthungerhilfe because they could not access rural India anymore. Okay. Um, so we had to find a new th something new that we would, would want to support. And uh, by then we, we had also grow grown a bit already. And we realized that there are a few sides of our packaging that we can really um, create a much better solution than what is today out there. So, for example, we have today, as you mentioned, biodegradable snack bar foil. Mm -hmm. So instead of plastic, we, we use a, a cellulose um, right. a material that you can literally put in soil and it... Uh, this how you call it this dissolves in right. in in 180 days becomes soil um but there are few products that we have where this is not possible today for example the pouches they are still plastic you can recycle them but you cannot um biodegradable is not possible yet today so we are still dependent on plastic and now it's something that we need to do but we would like of course, uh, to do something else. And actually, we are working on a project where we might become the first company in Europe to actually have um, uh, biodegradable pouches, but it's, it's uh, still a bit looking in the future. So we said, okay, what could we do to solve this, let's say, this, this a bit dilemma that we are adding plastic to the, the food, in, food industry? So we teamed up uh, with another company uh, and said, okay, we would like for every product that we sell um, to take plastic out of the environment. Plastic that has nothing to do with us, but plastic that is already in the environment and help this company take out plastic. So what we do today is for every product that uh, Yamo sells, we um, collect one plastic bottle um, out of you know, oceans, rivers, uh, and environment all around the world which is something that is super, super nice. Mm -hmm. And it also, I think it's a nice message for parents knowing, okay, I bought, bought this box, you know, 20 products. Yeah. That means I just took out 20 plastic bottles of somewhere in the world. I did something more than just feed my, feeding my kids. And I, I, I like the, the, mm -hmm. the, yeah, the tone of it. It's really nice to hear that, you know, to have this kind of conscious approach that even though you are, producing food for the you know masses but you're trying to offset you know whatever damage there might there might be exactly. done and i don't and think that would, this will be the last uh, thing yeah. there we, we're doing many many more things um but that's something that we defined from the very early on that this would be part of mm -hmm. our brand identity very to cool. give something back yeah well, maybe another podcast episode is going to wait for the new <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> new things that come up later um, so tell me a, a bit as well about, um, you know, how hard was it to get through all the regulations, the food regulations that are, are there, especially in Switzerland and with baby food? 
Yes. Um, so luckily that was not my problem. That was Jose's problem. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I just talked to him about it. Um, and the, the thing is that the product that we created was such a novelty, so new that for a lot of aspects, there were no regulations really. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it, it, it's really weird. We had to, f- to basically find similar product categories and then look at existing baby products and regulation and then talk to, to lawyers and, and, uh, and other experts to find out which regulations could apply to this new product category that just does not exist yet. There is no fresh baby food out in the market with this technology. So we said the... I guess the best thing to do would be we just take the hardest regulation that exists, the, which is baby formula, so like mm-hmm. the milk, uh, milk um, alternatives basically for kids, and then apply this to the solid food right. for, for kids. So what we do now is we take um, food regulations, for example, for ingre- certain ingredients uh, that are on the level of, of uh, the most... Um, um, most um, regulated mm-hmm. product, Strictest, which is f- exactly, uh, yeah. which is fa- f- uh, uh, formula, mm-hmm. and then apply it to our products. Okay. And it's it's quite interesting because th- I still remember when we when we first talked about it that while there is a regulation, of course, for for certain um, certain ingredients, you cannot go over a um, a certain threshold of uh, of, of for example, nitrate. I don't know what's called in, in English. Nitrate? Yeah, maybe it's nitrate. Yeah, okay. just the same. Yeah. Um, so for a for a baby food product, product there is a threshold of, I don't know, I say now something, 20 milligrams or something uh, that you cannot go higher. Mm-hmm. And that's, of course, super important. But then for the, let's say this is in, I don't know, in carrots, right? So if, if we have a, a carrot for our products in our ingredient list that has more than 20 milligrams of nitrate i'm just saying something now uh, then that we could not use now the the same carrot in cope or migro they don't have those thresholds or they are much higher but the parents cook with them the baby food so it's a very really it's very really interesting yeah. that you know that the kids will eat products from from parents that have no threshold and no one checks those things. But of course, if you provide a product, if you create a product for the, for the kids themselves, the, the regulations are super, super high. That's a very, it, it's a funny thing when you think about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we had to look up, uh, had to find out ourselves basically. But okay. today we have a very good overview of what is allowed, what is not allowed. Also in advertising, it's um, that was very yeah. complicated in the beginning to find out what what can we say, what can we not say, because there are certain regulations. So, could you give an example of like in advertising what what's allowed? Yes. So, not? for example, the whole um, formula mm-hmm. you cannot advertise. So uh, you cannot really communicate anything in in advertising. What you can do is um, create like some sort of of. Uh, advertorials, tests, uh, you know, uh, we tested different, mm-hmm. there was a test of, of different um, um, baby formulas and 
those are the results, but you cannot create classic advertising. Okay. So it's a product category that is very difficult for a new brand to step into because the existing big brands, they, uh, they have, let's call them sales reps, mm -hmm. uh, experts. They talk to midwives and to doctors that later then recommend their products again. So basically, it's okay. a, it's a, uh, you build up a relationship with the midwives and the doctors who have the first word to say in mm -hmm. the, in when parents grow up. And then they, okay. they recommend products uh, from certain brands. Um, now, for baby food, it's different. For baby food, there are less regulations. So you can advertise. Um, you, you are basically allowed to, to do anything like normal products but there are there are tendencies and uh, thoughts out there that this might get more strict in the future um, as well okay yeah. and like as a growing company uh, what other challenges did you guys have to face like some of the key maybe roadblocks that you hit um, in the last few years oh wow there were so many uh, <laughs> <laughs> with it uh, I mean, speaking about uh, legal legal things, uh, there was a, of course, we, we had a, a moment, a shock moment when, the, yeah, our biggest competitor and the, the leading brand in the in the category uh, sued us. Uh, was we were still very young, and we received a, a letter from the lawyer, from their lawyer, um, threatening us uh, if we would say those things again that we said on our social media or do those things again, then they would um, prosecute us, da, 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 da. Okay. And it was a bit of a, of a shock for us because we, we just started like literally a year ago, some months ago, we our oh, social media, maybe we had a thousand followers, which was my mother and my family and <laughs> no one else knew us, but we were already on their, on their target, let's yeah. say. Um, and they didn't really like what we were doing on from the communicational side. We were, of course, also a bit cheeky with our messaging. Um, and we then realized, okay, we it's not all fun mm -hmm. and games. Hey, we we um, we are being watched. So that was was a, a moment of of, uh, of shock. Um, but then we overcame it, uh, and and yeah, we I think it even helped the team a lot in the end. You know to um, uh, to realize, hey, we are strong together. We can make it. Because what followed up was then after the, after the the first a bit the, the. They had an issue with our communication, with our advertising, which was a bit too aggressive, maybe. And today I can say, okay, yeah, we. It was also a bit, uh, a bit cheeky, but then they brought it on a whole other level because they they basically told us that we would not be allowed to sell those products because they they are so new that they would need to go through the novel food um, um, uh, regulation, which means you would need to go to, a, I think, a three, two years process of uh, finding out whether you can sell those products or not. And to us, that was pretty ridiculous because there are many other companies using the same technology this high pressure processing for other products like coke uses it for yeah uh for smooth smoothies and and so to make smoothies more mm -hmm. sta shelf stable and we also won in the end so that was very good but for one two years everything was in up in the air we didn't know whether we would really win and if they would have won then we would have needed to stop selling those products 
So that was kind of a moment where not just us, but also the team, investors uh, were waiting for, you know, the decision uh, in, in the trial. And uh, luckily, or yeah, we won, which was a, a super nice uh, turn. So maybe this isn't a good example of hurdles that you That's don't expect one, yeah. and it's just you know it's just a distraction because of course you have the usual things yeah. right you then you don't grow for a while you start panicking uh then you start realizing oh we need new funds mm -hmm. can we still pay salaries the usual uh founders problems but then on top you have this topic of can we still sell our products in five months from now or yeah. are we done and need to shut down the company lucky for us we did not have to we won Uh, we even made a nice PR story out of it. So all good. Okay. So it paid back later. Uh, yeah, a lot because uh, we we made it public what happened. Mm -hmm. uh, that a big competitor sued us in a not so nice way. Yeah. And uh, we got just positive feedback by press and, and also social media is today is, is so quick to mm -hmm. answer. So we had a lot of actually transition from from their social media channel followership to to us and a lot of people said so i'm i'm team yamo now i those guys are much cooler than the big old companies so that was very good i think we established then a bit the you know the the challenger mm -hmm. brand vibe in the in the category that's great that uh, you came out of this and i think like having the honesty integrity with which you guys work is you know what in the end shows to everyone and, and helps to pull through, right? Yeah, and I think it's also something that uh, whenever I talk today to, to you know, uh, founders that really just started and when they say, hey, hey okay, are there any things that you can tell me that I need to watch out for? It's like, I could tell you a million things. The thing is, there is always the unknown unknown. No one of us yeah. would have expected that suddenly in year two or three, we would need to block 50 to 100,000 of lawyer costs because the biggest brand in the world in baby food decides to sue you, to kill you, basically. Yeah. So you just don't know that and you never expect this to happen. But those things happen and you, need, you just need to be always a bit calculating with, with a worst case scenario. Big, also in, term, in terms of, of money that you put beside for things like that because it just yeah, happens. Definitely. Mm. You'd also mentioned earlier that uh, your biggest competitor was like mother's or father's home-cooked food. Mm -hmm. And now you're telling me this story. <laughs> so like who are at present, you know, your biggest competitors? Uh, it's, it's super difficult to say because we play in so many different categories. Uh, right. So we we play in the baby food mm -hmm. category, which is a very par important part of the business. And there I would really say um, that for us, it's really the parents that cook themselves mm -hmm. are kind of our competitors. Mm -hmm. um, um, and then there is, is one big company that that owns of the sold products in retail. Uh, they have like a 70% market share. Mm -hmm. um, they are in Germany, okay. uh, a big German brand. Then their main business is baby food. If you then look at um, at the older kids, you know, into the the um, uh, the yogurts and the milk drinks, where we today have nice products, then of course it's the big the big um, um, dairy uh, companies. So yeah, we said it's not 
it's too easy to only face one big investor, uh, one big uh, competitor. Let's let's face just a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them in different uh, in different categories, product categories. Exactly. So you're also having presence uh, not only in Switzerland but like the entire dark region. Uh, Belgium, Spain, and Portugal, mm-hmm. right? That's an amazing achievement. Mm-hmm. And that also brings me to the question that how did you guys go on to expand? Like, what was the critical point that made you expand to other countries? And I mean, then you have to also understand, you know, the culture, the food culture, what resonates with the people in these countries. So how was that from the branding point of view? Yes. So the the first expansion from, from Switzerland to Germany and, and Austria was really just, um, you know, uh, since we have the same language, since it's the same geographical region, it just made a lot of sense to test those markets as well. Um, although I must say today that there are differences. Of course, buying power is not as strong as in Switzerland. So it's that brings a bit of complexity. But still, it's the same language, which makes things mm-hmm. easier. And most most uh, businesses in that are being started in, in Switzerland then you know, yeah. they just go to Germany. It's it's just eight times bigger or something, so it makes a lot of sense. Um, although today I'm I'm not sure if I would do Germany again, uh, because when it comes to food, they in Germany they there is still this mentality of it's better if it's cheaper a bit. So, I mean, in in general, right? There's there are always yeah. different uh, uh, customer segments. Um, so for a product like ours, maybe there would exist better markets than Germany and Europe, like UK or France, maybe even. Um, but due to the geographical region, it made a lot of sense in the beginning. And we just, we just did it. It was not, you know, no crazy um, year of strategy planning. And, you know, it was really, I remember that because I did it myself. I called up some influencers that I found online uh, with a bit of a uh, social media strategy and then we just tested it what would happen if we do it and it's working so um, back then it was really just let's do it instead of, of lo- thinking about it long uh, of course now it this is a completely different process and uh, there's much more much more strategic uh, involvement and thoughts going into that um, in the last years, when we expanded to those markets that you mentioned, uh, of course, first of all, there was always the, yeah, the assessment of, you know, how how much money do parents spend in those in those countries for for products like like baby and kids food, how is the the online share of of food um, being purchased in those countries, uh, how is the in general online online behavior? So a lot of more. Uh, more analysis than than back then. Uh, we are working today with a distribution partner for um, for the outside um, Dach markets, which helped us a lot. It's a distribution company that also distributes um, like products in Europe for other big brands like um, uh, Oatly, for example. Mm-hmm. And we benefit a lot from from uh, from those very known and nice products mm-hmm. that are also shaking up existing yeah. industries. So it's a bit of the same concept, but of course we are smaller, uh, that they can um, bring into the, those retailers that they anyway talk to um, about Oatly and other products, and then they, then they can come offer uh, products for kids 
as well with those retailers and that's working very well so we we have lots of uh, we have a lot of, of retail partnerships now in in those markets um, that uh, because those retailers they found out about the products from be it in media press they would call us up then we would uh, make the first connection and then at some point we hand it over to our distribution Okay. Uh, partner and that works very smoothly yeah. so it seems like the, you know pr and media played a really pivotal role in your business development yeah. right and yes. so how much you know for our fellow like founder listeners what percentage would you say of the budget mm-hmm. would you guys spend on marketing and pr side of things yeah yeah <laughs> It, that's a it's a good question. Uh, I think in the beginning, I would invest almost everything. I mean, it depends really what your sales channels are, right? So yeah. if you're a very online focused business, then obviously in the beginning, test the hell out of of performance marketing, just so you understand where you stand with your product and whether there's a product market fit and people are interested in your product and are buying da da da. So um, going to the you know the, the the bottom part of the advertising funnel and just test it with some easy Facebook ads and Google Google ads is in the beginning definitely the way to start to find out where you stand. Right. But then I think I would invest from very early on into um, into PR because I think in the beginning you have. You have a nice story to tell. You have this underdog vibe that lots of journalists love writing about. So it's it's easier to get into into the media with some nice clippings than when you're established. Mm. Uh, so the founder story is super nice. Everyone wants to know why, how you. Everyone wants to read about this. You know the the garage story. How did you start the business, etc. So you have this disadvantage and you need to play this in the beginning um be honest show f- your face who you are why you're what's your mission etc in the beginning everyone loves writing about that at some point you grow out of it and then it becomes more difficult to create clippings so in the beginning what helped us a lot is was was really pr and um who we are what our products are the benefits etc and this is as an established company no journalist wants to write about products and this mm-hmm. is now the better product than that. So in the beginning, you need to leverage that. So I would invest into this, yeah. whether this means money or just resources. So for the beginning, I was just a PR guy, for example, creating yeah. the brand and then talking to journalists in, in Germany and Switzerland. But I think that's that's how how you need to start. And then you you start shifting the allocation of the budget and create a bit of a of a mix of... Of performance marketing, of course, you need to invest uh, because you need to to grow and start selling yeah. at some point. But what you cannot forget is to feed the the top part of the of the advertising funnel, which is you need to create awareness. Your customers need to be aware of you, and uh, that's where when PR helps. That's when you know uh, classic advertising, as you know it, in magazines mm-hmm. in. Whatever works for your product, there's not nothing. There's no. It's not a. There's a single solution for everyone. It depends on what kind of product okay. you sell. But I can fairly say that we tried it all, and we know today what works and what does not work. Okay. 
well, seem to be doing a great job there. <laughs> so, um, so talking about where to next, right? Uh, your last fundraising round was a Series A worth uh, $10.1 million back in 2020. And uh, when can we hear about the next one? <laughs> uh, we or, are actually yeah. fundraising right now. Okay. Um, we are uh, raising our Series B. Um, I cannot say anything yet, okay. uh, but it's uh, it's looking it's looking good, um, and I think we will announce definitely something in the next couple of weeks and months. Wow. Uh, but yes, we will. Um, we are we are we took our time to you know to use the money in a good way uh, of the Series A, um, expand into new mm -hmm. countries, create new product offerings, and that's also how we will. We would like to use the the money of the the Series B to okay. enlarge our product portfolio and go into new markets and strengthen the core of our business. So, how has uh, the experience been, or or right now is, with fundraising? You know, considering also the financial crisis going on at the moment, um, and compared to how it was when you did uh, your previous round. Yeah, it's uh, it's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, what I think for us. I mean, I, I know what you what you would like to hear, uh, because there has been a a crazy shift of uh, change of of how investors and startups look at valuations of their company, mm -hmm. how much they raise, um, what's the basis of you know defining a valuation of the company, etc. So, I feel like like in one one and a half two years everything changed. So we. In the past, we saw, in and always in different, in 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 different areas than in what 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 we were in. I think food has always been very normal and very humble in terms of valuations and and uh, multiples. What is being paid for a for a company versus what they earn per year, uh, what what they make in revenue. In other areas like fintech, deep tech, everything much more technical, mm -hmm. software, SaaS companies. In the past, two, I mean, and when I talk about in the past, I mean two years ago, right? right. There have been some really crazy m things going on. So I think it's actually today is a bit a trend back to normal. Although, of course, for the companies involved, it's a tragedy what happened because yeah. suddenly their companies are being valued just half of two right. years ago, although they are still growing. But I think it just has gotten to a more reasonable point mm -hmm. than two years ago. A com company that makes one million of revenue cannot be worth a hundred million or yeah. more. It's just it's just ridiculous. So the bubble has kind of bursted. I think and the and bubble things, has bursted yeah. a bit. Uh, we, with in food and in, in consumer goods, there has never been really this bubble. Of right. course, there had, have also been paid money for companies that maybe should not exist at all because mm -hmm. they just don't add any value mm -hmm. to to category. Uh, but we have never been in a crazy bubble like the the deep like the, the, the tech right. things. So I think for us it was um, it was more normal. But of course, there have been it has gotten more difficult to raise money just because everyone is uh, afraid of what is going to happen next. Uh, what's the mm -hmm. move of the crazy guy in Russia? Did, does he decide yeah. to now to do something very crazy? Well, where are we going with inflation? People are scared to pay 
you know, money for for higher priced uh, food or other consumer goods because they don't know if they can pay um, the electricity bill. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of of different uh, thoughts going on that, of course, also we as a as a company need to take into consideration now, thinking about the next months and and maybe even years. Yeah. And in terms of like your team size, like how big are you guys now? Uh, we are around 40, 40 people, 40, yeah. 45, um, and are based in Zug. Okay. Yeah. So everyone operates from there for all the regions as well? Uh, yes, exactly. Um, so we have uh, a nice office in in uh, right next to the train station of Zug. Okay. Uh, of course, since COVID, we we uh, as well are more flexible with home office. So we don't ask for people to come to the office all the time. We have uh, actually we meet always Tuesday mm -hmm. to Thursdays in the office, which is I I really like the the exchange. You know, in the office, yeah. then the creative exchange happen, and then Monday and Friday we always focus on on non-meetings and you really do the rest of the, the work that needs to be done. Okay. But I'm super happy that we have a nice office and we can exchange with 40 people. Yeah. Nice. And what about you, Luca? What's next for you? Uh, I well, I hope I can still contribute to Yama for uh, for many years to come and, uh, and support my teams. So I'm responsible not just for marketing, I'm also... Um, with me are the really the D2C business. So um, the from the web shop to then commercialize. What is the the, the business model mm -hmm. behind our our um, direct to consumer business? Um, the revenue. So I, there is there are quite a, a lot of a lot of uh, responsibilities on my shoulders. But I have a, a very supportive, nice team that it's really a pleasure working together. And I I um, yeah I want to grow together with the teams also as a as a founder and as a as a manager in the end i've i mean it was the first time that that i i'm uh, uh, yeah that i lead people and uh, it's a, it's a nice a nice experience to grow together with the mm -hmm. company also as a as a human or as a as a your your career basically it's you learn new things every every day and it's uh, super exciting awesome so a little insight on your day-to-day -day life. Can you tell me a bit like what your, you know, day, like morning to evening looks like, a typical day for you? You mean in the office or in general? In general. Maybe you can tell me about office day to begin with, yeah. like when you wake up, what you do until <laughs> the evening time. So I, I really tried to wake up early at six o'clock because I realized that the only chance to do sports for me is in the morning mm -hmm. because in the evening I'm way too tired after coming home uh, from work late. Uh, I'm too tired. So what I need to do is to force myself to wake up early, six o'clock, and uh, then go to, to the gym. I need, I found out, I need sport as a, a filter, as a, a, a something to let off, yeah. power off. Uh, and it helps me to start the day with a very positive and strengthened mind. I feel like I'm yeah. a more awake than others that come to the office because, yeah, I have already done so much. Yeah. Um, of course, then in the train, I start checking the first emails and Slack, Slack messages. And uh, then it's really from nine o'clock, I'm in the office. Uh, mostly it's uh, meetings and alignments with my teams. So where they need a second pair of eyes, um, we work through 
difficult decisions that we need to take. Um, I have my own projects as well, of course. Uh, there's a lot of founder work that goes into into my day as well. Um, it, Toby, mm -hmm. my co-founder, he's responsible for everything related to finance and and also investors. But of course, Jose and me, we are very much involved into you know investor work, etc. So there's there there's quite some some interesting things that uh, that is not just plain business and my my teams but i need to make room for for my co-founders as well so i'm still also a founder and not just yeah. uh, with my with my teams and manager um in the evening then i tried lately to stop working at at reasonable hours when i mean reasonable that is more towards eight-ish uh to go home and then still have a bit time at home mm -hmm. because what I realized is when I come home at 10 that is not super helpful for me uh, because what happens then is I somehow need to eat something and I then either eat crappy things because I don't want to waste one hour in the kitchen and then go to sleep so I either yeah. eat not fast food but things that are easily prepared mm -hmm. uh, but still if you if you eat quickly, then it's 11 already and uh, then it's already bedtime and you didn't have time for mm -hmm. friends, for, for anything, for yourself, yeah. nothing. So what I try to do is go home a bit earlier, take time for myself, one, two hours, eat something, call up friends, whatever um, helps me, you know, to, um, to, uh, to calm down. And then I, I check again a new... Uh, things that happened maybe mm -hmm. in, the, in the meantime or last calls in the day um and that that's that's actually something that that works for me quite quite okay. well so i try to go to yeah. bed between <laughs> 11 and 12 so i get my six seven out hours of sleep that okay. that works for me okay well as long as you're able to manage everything well so it looks like it took a lot of time yeah uh, i it took a lot of time um i especially the until I realized that I cannot do sports in the evening. So I was dragging my sport back for one, two years to Yamo, realizing I go home with it in at nine, 10 in the evening every day and I never do sports in the evening. And by then I had already gained like 10 kilos Wow! <laughs> um, until I realized, oh, maybe I need to change something in my, in my, in my yes. daily life. So it's, and that's something I, I really cannot stress enough how, how a startup experience not just changes your professional life, it also changes your, your private life as well. It changes Definitely. you as a person, it changes uh, the people around you because you're not around so much. It changes, in my case, it was even my appearance because I, I gained weight and I was not happy with how things were going. And this you need, you need to know. And if you know it and if you talk to someone that, that can tell you, hey, this might happen if you don't pay attention, um then it can also it can become a bit un unpleasant yeah and there are certain strategies i think to um you know to 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 avoid such such developments i would today for example tell everyone that starts his business you know never lose your the things that that were important to you before founding a startup mm -hmm. whether it's sport whether it's 
I don't know, uh, reading, yeah. everything that gives you energy will also afterwards give you energy and you will need this energy. So stick to those habits that were positive for you um, before the starter because you will be even much more depending on them afterwards because you will have less energy in general. So um, yeah, you need to regain, stick to those things, exactly. rejuvenate from someplace. Yeah. Exactly. And I got, I got lost for a, for, a, for a bit and then gained it. Helpful, I get you back. Well, glad you're back on track yes. again. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, resources and gadgets recommendations for our listeners. Is there anything like books or anything you've read recently or any gadget that you use that really helps you through the day? Oh, not really gadgets. Um, I'm Books helped a lot. I, I like... Um, um, I really love love um, founders stories. So um, I love the the story of the founder of Nike, mm -hmm. um, where he explains how he built up his business and uh, how difficult it sometimes is, because you can really resonate. Although, of course, that was a completely different level, but the messages. Yeah, they are the same, and it's very interesting uh, to see how, even if the cases are super different, the the struggles and and the ups and downs is always the same for every founder out there. It's it's the same story, so that's that's uh, I can recommend listening to podcasts, uh, reading books um, in the beginning that help helps a lot. And I mean by podcasts and books, I mean really different things because it's not just reading about marketing strategies and how yeah. to build a business, how to found a business. It's also, you know, uh, in the beginning, you do everything yourself. You, like you, you, you need to create a salary structure that works for the first 10, 15, 20 people, although you have never done anything in HR and never built a salary structure that makes sense. But suddenly it's your responsibility. Yeah. So what we would do is listen to podcasts, uh, in HR, talking to HR people, asking other startups. So I can recommend this exchange uh, a lot. Um, and then for us, super important were, was the right software that helped helped making process simpler. So I can really recommend um, project management software mm -hmm. like Asana, where you don't need to keep your little notice on things I need to do today and write it on your by hand on your on a piece of paper, but but it's all everything is more connected. You uh, you can send tasks to your friend. Um, you have the perfect overview of everything. It made our lives so much easier using the right software. We use Slack for communication instead of emails. That helped a lot. Oh yeah. Um, Slack's a game changer. Yes, yeah. and there are so many. There's so much nice software that helps mm -hmm. you to structure your day a bit better, and you don't get lost in 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 uh, unefficient efficient work. Yeah. Gadgets, I I don't know. Maybe you know something that <laughs> that you can you can help me with. I mean, it's it's your story. So <laughs> if you don't use gadgets, that's fine. You, no, know, no, you don't no, have no. to be. Good recommendations, though. <laughs> Thanks for that. So now we come to our last segment of the episode, which is rapid fire questions. Mm -hmm. Just a few of them. Mm -hmm. So uh, first one, team player or lone wolf? Team player. 
If you could rewrite one mistake in your life, which would it be? <laughs> oh my god. Stopping sport mm. back then. That was a big mistake. I would rewrite today. Okay. Where would you be now if it wasn't for YAML? I guess I would be in in a big FMCG company somewhere in in a marketing position in middle management. <laughs> okay. And since Yamo is a baby and kids food brand, aspiring dad or child free forever? Aspiring dad. All right. Well, thank you so much, Luca. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Lots of great insights. And I hope uh, our listeners as well enjoy this episode. Thanks a lot for having me. It was a real pleasure talking to you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.